Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to a round of 16 reaction podcast. Potentially, not potentially, we are going to do this. A quarterfinal preview of this World Cup from from Doha, Qatar. If you are noticing something a little funny about this podcast, yes, it is me hosting for the first time since maybe 2020, early 2021. Nathan kind of took over that role. but Yeah. Which I am very grateful for him uh, to do because I think that it, it very much suits him and his career goals and orientations. But yes, I am driving the bus once more. It's it's fun to be back in this role. And joining me is my good friend and strike partner, Caleb Rose. Hello. How's it going? It goes. It's going. I I think this was... I had the most fun, I think. The group stages, I thought, were quite entertaining. But I thought, you know, there was definitely some blowouts in this round of 16. But I thought in terms of overall quality, I thought this was a very, very good out round round of 16 of a World Cup of a tournament. Yeah, and I think more than anything, there are several teams rounding into some pretty fearsome form, um, as as we'll get into. And I think it sets up... Um, you know, a pretty tantalizing set of, you know, quarterfinal matches um, and beyond. No, I would completely agree with that. I think a theme, Caleb, of this World Cup that we are sort of seeing as the rounds progress, aside from Morocco, who we will definitely come on to to talk about because they have quickly become the underdog story of this World Cup. This has really been a tournament of the heavyweights coming to the fore except for your beloved Spain um, <laughs> and, and players who we thought would show up in this tournament, countries, teams that we thought would show up in this tournament and really demonstrate that they are favorites, that they are heavyweights are producing at the highest level. I think right now, Caleb. Yeah, I know. I think it speaks to the fact that there happens to be a lot of good soccer players in the world right now. Like we're talking about all the heavyweights showing out and this is still a tournament where, you know, Belgium and, and Germany who, you know, had deficiencies, but still I think are better teams in the world um, were knocked out in the group stage. But with all that said, maybe we should turn, you know, to the action itself. And and the round of 16 began with, you know, a bit of a thud, um, I would say, at least if you're an American fan, which, you know, we are. Um, Netherlands versus USA, there was a lot of hype and energy after the U.S.'s, you know, tense 1-0 victory versus Iran. Um, that feeling did not last for very long as the Netherlands pretty quickly, um, both technically and tactically, swatted aside um, the United States with a pretty commanding 3-1 victory. Um, Ferreira made his, you know, World Cup debut at striker that lasted 45 minutes. Um, this is a bit of a catastrophe. Um, uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but maybe Nick, what were your, what were your feelings perhaps from this first game? Yeah, this was, like you said, a bit of a thud. The early game as well, the 9am slot for me here, uh, on central time, so to wake up to the U.S. being thrashed 3-1, uh, 
uh, was not the most fun experience in the world. Yeah, I think you saw a lot of naivety on display from the USMNT in this game. I thought you saw the gap in quality between Louis van Hall and a lot of the other managers at this tournament. I don't think it's just a Greg Berhalter situation. I think Louis van Hall is a spectacular coach and he knew exactly what he needed to do in order to exploit this U.S. team, which was not all that difficult. Um, it really just came down to the U.S. not marking um, the Netherlands uh, either wing, wing back. backs at the at the back post, which is and, which is insane because it's not like this is like a new Dutch system. They play like this every game. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like not not many surprises on display. I certainly think we made Denzel Dumfries look much better than he actually is as a player at the club level for Inter Milan. But I thought he really showed out on the day. Daily Blint, I thought, kind of rolled back the years in this game as well. Um, but you could really see that the U.S. struggled, particularly going forward. I thought Virgil van Dijk was, as a Liverpool fan, I sort of got a sense of how frustrating it is to go up against van Dijk. He really covers every blade of grass. He's so economic with his movement, knows exactly how to mark players out of the game, deal with situations. I thought Nathan Ake was also quite impressive in this game. And I think you sent something to the group chat, Caleb, where you know you look at our the U.S.'s team sheet, and it was Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman was reinstalled for this game, which I thought was quite interesting, considering uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers played quite well against Iran. And just one of, you know, Nathan Ake or Martin Darun or, you know, one of these, like, players that we don't consider, like, world-world-class, but are certainly, you know, producing the goods at the Premier League level and Serie A level, you know, would have enhanced the USMNT. And I thought there was just a clear gulf in quality on display here all around. Yeah, it was it was quite disappointing. I mean, you knew things were going terribly when, you know, Berhalter had to reach for, you know, his hated Gio Reyna um, at halftime. I think it is funny, though, that the U.S. got, you know, their one goal through a man that we've maligned throughout this tournament, um, Haji Wright, although it was definitely a fluke goal. Um, I, I will say Pulisic kind of crossed it uh, into the box and it kind of, I guess, flipped over Haji Wright's toe and looped over the keeper. Definitely something that would make a kind of FIFA glitch um, highlight reel. I will note, though, I thought Pulisic was perhaps the lone, you know, bright spark for this U.S. team. But the thing is, while he is a good attacker, he is not a transcendent attacker. um, And he alone cannot do um, everything that the U.S. offense needs. Burhalter is now in, you know, quote-unquote, contract talks after this tournament. Do you think we sign him up for the future or not? I do think he is the manager of the USMNT in 2026. I think for everything that we've said about Greg Berhalter and the fact that you know he, he might be a step behind some of the other coaches, big-name coaches at the world stage, I definitely think he's done a good job with this group. I think you mentioned a bit of a tenuous relationship with Gio Reyna. I think that definitely needs to get sorted out if the USMNT are going to be able to put their best 11 on the pitch. I definitely think that he's done a good job. He's found something here with this midfield in particular, the Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams midfield. I thought had McKinney been more fit and had more match time uh, this season with Juventus, potentially things could have been a bit different in there. We saw him coming off. Uh, halfway through the second half in this game. I thought Tyler Adams was exceptional and putting the, the, putting 
the faith of of the nation in him was definitely justified. I thought he really showed out in this tournament as well. I think the one question about Burhalter is his preferences just in terms of who he, he likes to call up, you know, leaving the likes of calling up the likes of Haji Wright and um Jesus Ferreira, right? That's who it is. Yep. Yeah. Calling up the likes of Haji Haji Wright and Jesus Ferreira, who I thought both were suboptimal, subpar in this tournament, and leaving a player like Jordan Pifok, who has scored a, a number of goals in the Bundesliga at the highest level for Union Berlin this season, I think was a massive mistake. And so I think there's just some Occam's razor things that need to be fixed with Greg Berhalter, but are there better candidates out there that the USMNT would approach? Potentially, are they achievable? I'm not so sure. So maybe allowing Berhalter to develop with these players and giving him a chance to bring in some of those guys that I think should have probably made the play in this time around is a good idea going forward. Fair enough. Well, we've probably spent a little too much time here, but it is Netherlands who progress and they will be facing Argentina um, in the next round, Argentina beat Australia 2-1 in a game that uh, was honestly a little closer than I think uh, was expected, especially towards the end there where um, I think you put in our chat that Lautaro Martinez was doing his best uh, Higuain, um impression um, as Australia came very, very, very close um, to equalizing and what has turned out or turned out to be um, you know, a better tournament for them than expected. Your your thoughts on this game, and then we can turn to you know the Netherlands Argentina matchup as well. I was highly impressed with Australia. I thought they were quite competitive in this game. I thought they harried, impressed, and they did everything they needed to do in order to kind of cordon off Argentina. I definitely think Argentina have better quality than Australia, but I thought this was a competitive game, highly competitive, even towards the end. Uh, with our Australia missing some good chances in extra time. I think Messi dropping into a deeper role is probably for the best, considering Julian Alvarez has been on exceptional form in this tournament, playing as sort of a duopoly striker partnership with Lautaro Martinez, who I thought was atrocious in this game, quite frankly, um, really rolling the years back and making me think about Gonzalo Higuain in the 2014 tournament. But... I think ideally, you know, that finishing improves going forward. Obviously, no Di Maria in this game, which I thought was a huge miss. He's someone who knows Messi quite well, knows how he likes to play. Um, Papu Gomez came in, and I thought he wasn't as dynamic in that role as Di Maria was. But yeah, I think the story of this Argentina tournament has been the rise of players like Alexis McAllister and Enzo Fernandez to bolster the midfield uh, alongside Messi. There's rumors that um, Paredes might come in for the next game and kind of be an anchor to allow Fernandez a little more freedom going forward, which I would really like to see. But in terms of previewing this Netherlands-Argentina game, Caleb, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I, I definitely think we've seen Scaloni play around with his system in this tournament and try and stumble onto something that works for Messi and works for the players that he has. Versus Louis van Gaal, who has, as you said, a set system. We know exactly how the Netherlands are going to play. We know Frankie de Jong is going to be there. We know Virgil van Dijk is going to be there. Uh, we know there's going to be wingbacks who bomb on and are also, you know, can keep the game quite compact. So I'm interested to see. Argentina, I have not been super impressed with so far, but do you feel like they have the quality to beat this well-drilled Netherlands team? Yeah, it's a good question. I think ahead of the tournament, Argentina were you know, tentatively one of the favorites. They were carrying that crazy 
you know, unbeaten record um, into the tournament. What was it? 30 something games. Of course, they lost that um, in the first game and that surprise defeat to Saudi Arabia. And I do think that this Argentina team has not stumbled on to its strongest 11 and the players who you'd expect um, to sort of be performing at their highest level um, have not in someone like Latara Martinez. And more than I thought, um, it has been a bit of the messy show, um, which in general, he can do it. Um, but he is 35 now, and I was hopeful that this team might be able to support him a little bit more. All of that bodes poorly um, for Argentina. I do think they still go into this game against the Netherlands as, you know, slight favorites. Um, and I do think that, you know, the highest stars of Argentina do eclipse the highest stars of the Netherlands. But I do think the tactical settledness of that Dutch team um, is is a big factor. And my sort of hot take is I do actually think, very unfortunately, um, that the Netherlands will go through. I, I feel like this whole <gasps> tournament oh, no. has this whole tournament has a bit like embittered me about it, the sport, because um, <laughs> like every team for, for that many I support. Reasons. Every team that I support uh, has generally underperformed. And then there's just, you know, this awful specter of Laib and and the whole uh, tournament being in Qatar. Um, <laughs> Laib. <laughs> but, <laughs> Drag the mascot in here. Oh, it's because he's a ghost. It was a, yeah. a weird play. Whatever. Um, yeah, no, indeed. Uh, so I think I'm not feeling the most optimistic in general right now. And I don't think that Argentina have really impressed me like I hope them to. So my... My prediction, as much as I hate to say it, is that I do think the Netherlands um, get through on this one. I would, I actually do agree with you. I think the Netherlands get through. I just think at this stage of the tournament, you want that tactical solidity and knowledge of what you're going to do. I like the fact that the Netherlands, they haven't been the most explosive and dynamic team, but they certainly know their roles. And I just like the fact that it seems like Virgil van Dyke is back on his game somewhat. Virgil van Dyke is someone who has been able to go up against many, many, Jesus Christ. Virgil van Dyke has been someone who has been able to go up against Messi and come out victorious. I think he has the capability to do that once again. So I'm going to go up, not necessarily out on a limb, but I, I am going to say that the Netherlands win this game. I also just think the Netherlands have clearly a bit more goals in their team, I would say. Uh, Cody Yakpo has really impressed me in this tournament. Uh, I think they have the likes of, um, you know, the wingbacks who can bomb on. Dumfries is in form, obviously. Uh, Steven Bergwijn can come off the bench or start. Davi Klaassen has been good in this tournament. Everyone's sort of settled in that Dutch team. And so I think it could be, we could be looking at a, a disappointing exit in Messi's final World Cup. Yeah, I think I think it will be. A potentially disappointing exit, especially as we get on to later as his, you know, much worse counterpart in Portugal um, will be carried by, you know, the people around him. But that's neither here nor there. The next slate of games saw France uh, batter Poland. Poland scored, you know, once France scored thrice. Poland's goal was a retaken penalty kick by Lewandowski, who has now, you know, officially only missed one penalty in this World Cup. But technically has missed two um france looked excellent in this game mbappe can literally shoot from anywhere his ability to shoot towards the near post 
um, is is at this point, I think, trademark for him. Giroud has now, what, eclipsed or tied? No, eclipsed Thierry Henry as the all-time top scorer for France. And while I think, you know, this squad is, isn't perfect and they definitely don't have the midfield pairing that they might want, um, on the field, they are really, really humming right now. They might not have the midfield that they want, but I think they have stumbled into something really unique and good with Antoine Griezmann dropping into almost a central midfield, central attacking midfield formation. And Deschamps has just done the right thing in this tournament, and he's put his players in a position to succeed. He's not played anyone exceptionally out of position except for Jules Kunde, who he put at right back out of absolute necessity. And I think, you know, Dembele has been exceptional in this tournament as well. You know, he is someone who I think without, you know, being injured for a prolonged period of time at this point has really played himself back into form for club and country. I thought he was so dynamic on the wing as well. Griezmann, I think coming in from the middle as sort of a second striker for Olivier Giroud, who is still at 36 years old, proving to be, you know, one of the most Mr. Consistent on the international stage and the club stage. You know, when when you need someone to rely on, Olivier Giroud is going to be that someone. And yeah, Kylian Mbappe, the question is, you know, how do you even... He, he has been the form player at this World Cup. There's no question about it. And it's how just, just how do you how do you stop him? How do you stop the form player in the world right now? You know, now he's just one since Messi scored uh, against Australia. He is now just one behind uh, Lionel Messi in terms of total World Cup goals, dominating these knockout rounds. He's already scored in a World Cup final. He's been here before. He knows how to get there. And the question is just going to be, can England and Kyle Walker in particular find a way to stop him? Yes, and speaking in, in, of England and, and Kyle Walker in the second round of 16 game that day, um, England beat Senegal 3-0. It was a nervy, you know, first 38 minutes or so where I thought Senegal really frustrated England and, and had a few chances themselves. Um, but all of a sudden it was, you know, Jude Bellingham um, and a surprise pick, you know, Jordan Henderson, who led an amazing counterattack and finished it off. Bellingham continued to have, you know, an excellent day um, himself. And I think Liverpool fans especially will, will have enjoyed seeing the camaraderie between those two players. Um, England turned it on in a game where they missed uh, Raheem Sterling due to a robbery um, at his home. And he left um, the England camp to go back there. But just ter- um, terrible like that's yeah terrific. terrible and it happens far too often um we've seen several players in recent years have their homes robbed often with you know their family members at home too or we even saw you know Yang who got who broke his jaw during a armed burglary um but on the field england's depth really shown through phil foden who finally got you know got into the team grabbed two assists bakaya saka now has three goals in the tournament even harry kane um, finally scored in this tournament as well. Um, England are incredibly strong. Um, and I think the only question will be, you know, who starts exactly, um, especially in midfield and up front. But I feel quite confident that basically everyone can contribute um, at this point. And Caleb, you've buried the lead here because the man who opened the goal scoring for the English national team is the much maligned, but... Uh... I, I, I said Jordan Henderson. <laughs> 
Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I, sa- I, I, said, I said it was, you know, a tough 38 minutes. Then Jude Bellingham led a counter and passed it to Jordan Henderson, who scored. Oh, how dare you? How dare you bury the lead here? Jordan <laughs> Henderson, I thought, was exceptional in this game. And I think he is definitely going to get a start going forward uh, as England try to progress through this tournament. Obviously, France is going to be a very different proposition than coming up against the Senegalese midfield, who I thought, like you said, uh, were quite competitive in this game. I thought the way that Hendo opened up, it was sort of like he was rolling back the clock to 2018, 2019 Liverpool, you know, popping up in areas to help out other players, instigate counterattacking moves, uh, being the spear of the press, really just filling in the gaps when England needed to go forward. I thought he was exceptional in this game. It just was reminiscent of when Liverpool were challenging for the Premier League title and Henderson was, you know, one of the form players in the Premier League. But yeah, I think the question for this game is we saw Gareth Southgate go to a back five or back three against Germany in the Euro knockout rounds when they were coming up against a a bit more of a technical opponent uh, in that tournament. Are we going to see England revert to a back five again? I think they have. uh, The the 4-3-3 is clearly working for them, especially in transition. I thought England looked really, really strong against Senegal in transition. Uh, Saka was incredible Foden, in the link up play him coming in from the right i thought was was really effective pairing him with harry kane and kane still doing this thing where he can just drop very deep into midfield and instigate moves as well and just the depth the depth that england are able to call upon you know jack Grealish and marcus rashford who i think have been super subs in this tournament yeah all is all is going well right now for england and they're coming up against their Definitely their their biggest test so far, a historic, in more ways than one, matchup against France. Caleb, how do you see this one going? This this is really interesting. I think um, France have Mbappe, uh, which which counts for more than it, than it should, but it counts for a lot. I actually think the French starting eleven, um, you know, if they played this eleven that they played you know, against Senegal is probably more balanced um, and perhaps even better than the French team. Um, but while France, you know, choked in the Euros and, and England, of course, you know, made it to, to the final before losing in penalties, I do think that there is a little more to this France team um, than this England team. Um, I think if France can get goals in the first half especially um they will go on to win because i think if the game does get a little later on england do have i think more resources to call upon especially in attack um and so i i think it could be a game of two halves i think if if france get that early goal they'll go on to win however if it's the 75th minute and it's still you know tied um england probably are better positioned to succeed um in winning, you know, an extra time. So I guess I haven't actually given a prediction here, but I do think France will go through. That's my thoughts. But this, this, this is an insane matchup. This, this is like a World Cup title-worthy matchup right here. And I think I would agree. Said. I, I think so far this is the tie of the tournaments. This is a heavyweight clash of heavyweights. I... I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. And I know people come here for analysis and takes and whatnot. And for us just to say the first team that scores is going to go on to win the game. But I, I genuinely think that's the case. I think in tight matchups like this, I definitely think it's going to be 
a bit more compact than we've seen from these two teams so far. I think it's going to be cagey. It's going to be a little tactical. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Southgate revert to a back five in order to contain Mbappe. So you have two players on him at all times, you know, maybe one Kyle Walker and Jordan Henderson rotating in and out to try and contain him to some capacity. I do. I do think France just edge it here. I really love the energy of this team. I think the youth is starting to show through a little bit more. The The pace, the firepower that they have is just a bit, could be a bit much for England early. However, I, I do agree that if this game goes beyond, you know, the 75th minute and is scoreless and we're going into extra time, bring on the likes of a Jack Grealish or a Marcus Rashford into a game like this could just be the death nail for France. However, I do think this finishes, you know, maybe 2-1 or 1-0 to the French. Excellent. Um, let's see. Oh, the next the next game, Japan won, Croatia won before a heartbreaking defeat for the Japanese and a victory for Croatia in penalties. The first penalty shootout um, but not the last uh, <laughs> so far uh, in this tournament. Um, Croatia, I think, have rounded into form um, a bit, um, but I was very disappointed to see you know Japan not be able to get this one over the finish line. And it really was, I think, experience of the Croatians in the end, even without uh, Kovacic or Modric on the field for that penalty shootout. And an, an amazing penalty performance uh from uh the croatian goalkeeper livakovic livakovic uh calling on you know the heritage of subasic from the previous tournament um that that sent them through and i think this is a pretty canny croatian side and unfortunately a very talented japanese side wasn't quite able to you know put the ball in the back of the net enough um in regular time but uh, you know this this is a good this is a good match this is a good match and i think either team would have been good money to go through yeah you could just see from the body language on the face of some of the japanese players that this was an uncomfortable position for them meanwhile croatia in the last tournament in the last world cup in russia you know beating so many teams on penalties beating russia on penalties beating spain on penalties you know this is something that they are accustomed to grinding out games even perisic who i think you can make a case for him being one of the great modern players at the World Cup, you know, after these two tournaments, you know, always popping up with crucial goals in big games, never really seeming to <laughs> to age, which I think is something that you could say a lot for many members of this Croatia team. I thought Dan Lovren was quite good at the back, once again, as as was uh, Josko Gavardiol. Luka Modric just continues to <laughs> just continues to to roll on here at this tournament does not look fatigued whatsoever. Neither does, you know, Mateo Kovacic. And I think that that midfield is going to be the, the secret sauce for them. Not necessarily secret in any sense, but just in terms of the way that they motor forward, I think that's going to be key for them uh, going into their next tie against a really tough, tough opponent. Yeah. I mean, Perisic, I think he is probably one of the best international players um, there are definitely players that have different form for for club versus country. Another one I can think of a bit is like someone like Miroslav Klosa, um, who is like a very solid striker, 
um, but is, you know, Germany's all-time leading scorer, I believe, and also the World Cup all-time leading scorer. Um, and Perisic as well, I think, is like the second highest scorer in Croatian history. Um, he scores a lot in these big games. So, uh, and he delivered, you know, here again. Uh, Brazil uh, really got the job done in the first half against South Korea. Scoring, <laughs> scoring four quick fire goals, a seventh minute goal from Vinicius. Neymar scored a penalty in the 13th. The pick of the lot was Richarlison's uh, goal in the 29th minute where he kind of seal dribbled for a bit. Um, and then there was just an amazing, you know, flurry of one touch passing. And all of a sudden um, it was just him and the goalie. Um, and he put, you know, the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Paketa got on the score sheet as well. Neymar back in the team and, you know, firing, getting his goal and an assist. Um, and then, you know, they they kind of let the their foot off the gas in the second half. South Korea scored a nice uh, distance shot. But uh, yeah, very good goal. It was a very banger. good goal, but the, yeah. the, the, game was, the game was done. And you knew it when, like, Tite was, was celebrating. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, that is my favorite moment of this tournament so far. You have Tite dancing on the sideline, doing the penguin celly or whatever it is, the pigeon celebration. I thought it was just so... And honestly, you know what, Caleb? Like, I'm not surprised that Brazil let their foot off the gas in the second half because doing that much dancing in the first half must tire you out in a, Dude, some all, all of the All of the, like, stoppage time was purely because of the, like, five minutes the Brazilian players took to do their dances. <laughs> Supposedly, they have, like, ten dances prepared for this tournament, and they were getting a little confused which one they were on um, <laughs> after scoring so many goals um, in this game. But I think... They have like the Brazilian soccer vibe going it's on. Just right now. It's just joy. It's joy. It's um, joy. And I think, you know, South Korea were very impressive in this tournament to get to this point. Um, and I think, you know, Richarlison afterwards uh, posted a message to, you know, Spurs teammate Son um, saying, you know, how much respect he had for him and, and knew how much this tournament meant to him. Um, but Brazil are. Brazil are great um, right now, and I actually think that they're going to roll Croatia. Um, <laughs> like, not 4-1. Not, I, not I think it's going to be, like, 3-0. I think that this Brazil team have an amazing defense. They have a great midfield, and their offense is incisive and fun and has flair, and there's not much that the Croatians will really be able to do to stop it. No, and I think the key thing for this Brazil team is that in previous tournaments, we've seen that they've lacked someone wearing that number nine shirt who can really carry the burden for them. And that man in this tournament is Richarlison. He has really embodied what it means to be a Brazilian number nine. You know, there's been a lot of legendary players who have worn that shirt, you know, OG, Ronaldo, Pele as well, you know, who have taken up the mantle as a Brazilian striker. And that goal that he scored, you know, the controlling it on the head, and then the link play and the finish, like that was that was Ronaldo esque, which I think is a crazy thing to say for someone who you know it, it's it's known that you know I've had some beef here and there with Richarlison. However, that I I'm I'm officially going to say it here. I've put the beef away. You've you've quashed it. I've squashed the beef. It's done. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more that I enjoy than watching this Brazil team play with, like you said, the flair, the joy, 
the fun, the zest for life and enjoyment. You know, Neymar is setting a, a pick and roll with the ref. Uh, and, and getting oh, that away was from... so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and getting away from the South Korean defense. I mean, this was... We're going to talk about probably the performance of the tournament in uh, so far in Gonzalo Ramos. But I thought this, from a team perspective, for me, at the very least, I thought this was the most, the most incisive and deadly half we have seen from any team thus far at this tournament. And South Korea have been good. You know, South Korea have been plucky underdogs you know they have over yeah i mean they were the first team to record i think a shot on goal on um alison in this tournament so they, they they put up more than most have against this brazil side um and it still was you know far far from enough i also think this brazil team is playing um with a, a sense of of urgency um given you know uh pele's health problems as well um, and I think that has only heightened the amount of sort of meaning this tournament has for them. Also, you know, quick shout out to, you know, Gabriel Jesus, who unfortunately is, I think, the first player with a sort of major injury other than um, Lucas Hernandez um, getting a pretty bad uh, knee injury. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more once the Premier League resumes as well. But I hope his healing process um, is is starting. But I know we're a little short on time, Nick, so we should probably switch to the final slate of games. Um, actually, did you give your score prediction for? I think it's also going to be in the three-one realm yeah. or the the you know two-nil heavy yeah. two-nil. You know, two-nil yeah, that yeah. maybe feels like it should have been a four-nil. Yeah. Okay. The one thing I will say from a Brazil perspective is that they're the first team in this tournament to use all twenty-six players, and I think that just goes to show you know Chiche get like we'd said getting involved in the celebrations. He's a beloved coach for this Brazil national team. And you can see that as much as they want to win it for themselves, there's an element of also wanting to win it for their coach too, which I think is not something that you know, we can say for for Brazil coaches in the past. I think Tite is, they've stumbled on a good one there. Excellent. I'll, I'll let you uh, start on this next game as I gather my my thoughts. Morocco's I mean, yeah, this is tough, Caleb. This is uh this is a tough one. This is a tough watch at times. I thought if we're gonna talk about upsets, this is probably the upset of the round in terms of Morocco beating Spain on penalties. Uh Spain obviously falling short at the last World Cup as well against an underdog opponent, that time in Russia. But this, Caleb, this was, I thought, for all of the pomp that Spain were accumulating in the group stage, a very, very good performance to open up, you know, winning 7-0 against Costa Rica. I thought dominating at times against Germany. And then obviously, you know, Japan stunning them as well. And they were not able to find their momentum again against the Morocco team that I thought set traps for them all over the pitch. Uh, Sofiane Amrabat, I thought, was excellent once again in midfield, breaking up the play. But Caleb, there is, you know, Spain records something like 400, 500 passes per shot or something like that, you know, in the last couple of games. Clearly, you know, dominating on the ball, but not being able to turn that into a statistical return. I do want to know where you think this team goes from here, because as we said before the tournament, Lucha Enrique made a lot of big calls 
when it came to personnel. I know you were not impressed with some of the players that he was bringing off the bench, you know, namely Nico Williams. I'm interested to see, you know, what you think the fallout of this game is for the Spain national team. You know, obviously Gavi and Pedri are still incredibly young. We saw their prowess on display in this tournament. But for the likes of, you know, Jordi Alba, Alvaro Morata, you know, there's a lot of mainstays here in this team as well. I'm interested to see because this was a I thought this was shocking in many ways, but also, you know, Nathan has has talked has talked up Morocco quite a bit and they delivered as well. Yeah, I think I have I have several thoughts. Um about this game first you know all credit to morocco who played their game and they saw how you know both germany and i think japan have have been able to frustrate spain in various ways um and in the end they were i think very vindicated um in that approach and showed you know supreme confidence um in the penalty shootout obviously scoring all three as spain missed all three um and then you know hakimi scoring the Panenka to, to seal it. This Morocco team knew what they were doing. I don't think we should, I don't think we should write this off as a fluke. Um, and I think that's in part because Spain are so utterly predictable and have been for about, you know, 12 years now, which is that they have, you know, one of the best midfields in the world. They have, you know, one of the best defenses in the world, but they're trying to, you know, use a butter knife um, rather than a stake knife um, on the attacking end. And they just can't put the ball in the back of the net. Um, that's because they don't have a real striker. Um, I mean, they have Morata, but again, while he's good for Spain um, and has been good in this tournament, you know, he at the club level has shown that he's not really, you know, that killer. Um, and really since, you know, David Villa and, and Fernando Torres, um, have you know retired and left the Spain setup? There has been a massive gaping hole um, at that you know striker spot, and Ferran Torres and and Dani Olmo just aren't you know pure goal scorers in the way that we need them to be. And I don't know who we find um, going forward because I can't think of a young Spaniard um, who's you know like twenty two um, who's really set to take up that number nine um, mantle. I think this is very sad because the Spain team is incredibly talented. Um, and this honestly was probably, you know, the final Spain games for players like Busquets and, and Alba, who I doubt um, will <laughs> be playing in Spain next season um, and probably won't be playing for, you know, the Spanish national team either. So a massive disappointment. I think Lucho has, you know, a lot of questions to answer, whether it made sense to only bring one striker um, in the squad even, you know, I think he probably should have brought, you know, Borja Iglesias, who's been, you know, in solid form in La Liga. Um, and we probably just need midfielders that can shoot from distance. We don't have someone like Modric, who doesn't score a lot of goals, but he can just hit an absolute screamer when he needs to. And right now, that's not Pedri. And right now, that's not Gavi. And, you know, they're 20 and 18. So there's time for them to develop. But I think we lack a real distance threat. Um, to sort of unlock some of these really um, difficult low blocks. And, and teams have found out that, you know what, they can just do that against Spain. And it doesn't matter that Spain put up a thousand passes, literally. Um, and Rodri has 200 passes because um, in the end, they'll prevail. And, and Lucho supposedly uh, had all of the players, quote unquote, practice a thousand penalty kicks in training. 
what were they practicing, my guy? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what penalty method. <laughs> oh my god, they were practicing and, there. And it, and the thing is, there were so many moments where they could have won, like moments before the game ended. Pablo right. Sarabia, who came on for Nico Williams, who himself was a sub, missed from point blank range off of a corner. He then took the first penalty, which he missed. I think there is probably no nothing more emblematic um, than that. And another talented Spain mm-hmm. side um, is really left, you know, wondering what, what what happened. Yeah, I just thought you saw a team sort of figure out Spain as the tournament progressed. You know, they had that 7-0 explosive win, and then Germany really took their chances against them. And then Japan saw that you could really unsettle them by playing compact, really moving 11 players across the pitch as a team. I thought Morocco did really similar things in sort of setting those similar traps for Spain. Yeah, like you said, there's sort of a drop-off in in attacking prowess on this team the more you go down the sheet. I never really thought that there were many goals in particular to come off the bench, certainly like you were saying in midfield. You know, Dani Olmo is another player who I think you probably wanted a, a bit more from in terms of scoring, potentially. Uh, Murata, I thought, you know, you're always going to have questions about him, but then, you know, once he's not performing, who is the person that comes in? Certainly you're not, like, hoping Marco Asensio pops up with three goals at a World Cup tournament. But, yeah, for Morocco, Caleb, I think this is... The quarterfinals is huge. Like, it's huge for... We've not really seen this very much from African teams, in particular, making it to this stage of the tournament. I think the last time we saw it was Ghana in 2010. And this is a massive, massive moment for Moroccan football. Uh, Their coach, Valid, I think had that incredible moment with his mother in the stands. I think he's said to his players that every single game in this tournament has been a final. And I think they treated it as such. And in a way, that sort of pressure, I think, has brought out the best in players like Mazraoui and Hakimi and Ziyech. Hakimi with just incredible moment from the spot to finish off Spain, that Paneca was beautiful. That's going to be one of the moments of this tournament for sure. But they are coming up against a rampant (laughs) Ronaldo-less. Thank God. Rampant and Ronaldo-less Portuguese side who beat the Swiss 6-1. The man who replaced Ronaldo in the side, Gonzalo Ramos, scoring a debut hat-trick at the World Cup. Caleb, your take on this Portuguese performance, Sons Ronaldo, and your take on this matchup. Yeah, I mean, it was a big call to to leave out Ronaldo, uh, not on a sporting level. I mean, we know that he shouldn't be anywhere close to the starting 11 of this team. And that's because this Portuguese team actually, unlike Spain, and I wish there was like almost a all Iberian national team, because um, if Spain had a, you know, Goncalo Ramos, that would totally change the tournament for us, or even a Jao Felix. But this Portugal team put on an attacking clinic. Um, Goncalo Ramos with the hat trick and the assist. He had only played something like 30 minutes of, um, you know, football for uh, Portugal ahead of this tournament. He was a late addition to the squad, um, mainly due to the injury to uh, Jota. Um, but he really seized his chance and just destroyed um, this poor Swiss team. And I think, you know, Jao Felix got two assists in this game. He looks quite alive. Um, and the interplay with, you know, Bruno Fernandes, who I think really enjoys um, playing this kind of Czech artista role um, as well. They're, they're the real deal. And they also, um, you know, are probably feeling quite good. And they're another team with excellent depth. I mean, they were able to bring, you know, Rafael Leao 
um, who scored off the bench. Uh, they they are they are a strong side. They they're are able to bring Ronaldo off the bench. They're able to bring Ronaldo off the bench. Um, and you know, while he's mainly only scoring offsides goals at this point, sure. <laughs> um, the one thing, sorry, the one thing that drove me utterly insane was you have this Portuguese team putting on a demonst- a masterclass in soccer um, on the field. And the commentators on Fox, all they would talk about was how the crowd was cheering whenever they saw like Ronaldo warming up. Oh my God. And I was yeah. like, this is such a disgrace. Like you're seeing one of the performances of the tournament, arguably they the performance of the tournament on the field. It's, it's a hat trick. It's a debut it's a hat trick with 21 year olds. And all you can talk about is this absolutely washed geriatric striker <laughs> on the bench. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, I, I, I was pretty upset, so I had to switch over to Telemundo where they kind of get what's going on a little bit more. But Yeah, I mean, it just follows up from that Guardian <laughs> piece this week about how, like, from a foreign perspective, the Fox coverage oh, is just it's so bad. absolutely we, we, atrocious. We can get into that another time, maybe with Nathan. But long story short, Portugal are are looking good um, right now. Portugal versus Morocco, Nick. It's Portugal. It's yeah, Portugal. It, it, I think it's Portugal. Unfortunately. And we're seeing at this tournament that Goals, this is crazy, Caleb. This is crazy. Goals matter. And goals matter, if especially if you can get them from multiple sources. And I think, this, like you're saying, this Portuguese team without Ronaldo look far more dangerous. Far more players seem to have unlocked you know, their, their potential in this side. You know, we forget that Bruno Fernandes scored, scored two goals in the group stage as well. You know, he's a danger. Uh, Joao Felix looks totally uninhibited now. Like he, Jao Felix, this is, this is going to be a big tournament for him if he can progress into a, a World Cup semifinal leading the line for Portugal. And Gonzalo Ramos, that hat trick for him, launching him onto the global stage, that's huge. That is massive. He looks like such a deft finisher as well and knows exactly when to make his runs. Um, you know, Bruno's uh, not Bruno Fernandes with the other Manchester player, Bernardo Silva. There's so many of them, Caleb. There's so many weapons that I'm tripping over the Brunos and Bernardos on this podcast. Um, I just think, like you said, the depth for them as well. Rafael Leao, who is the most valuable player in Serie A, if you're at a check transfer market right now. There's just too many weapons, I think, for this Morocco team who have been the story of the tournament so far, but I think this is as far as they get, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I think Portugal are not a possession side in the way that that Spain are, and and Morocco will have more of the ball and will have to come out of their shell a little bit more. Um, and unfortunately, that's just going to leave, you know, holes. But I will be rooting for Morocco. That is for sure. Even though I do like Portugal a lot more without Ronaldo in the side. Not not on not on like a. You know, it's crazy how be. much more likable they were and how much like yeah. I was okay with celebrating their goals. Yeah. Obviously, like I have a lot of Portuguese friends, you know, right. family friends are Portuguese, things like that. I want to see them do well. But the Ronaldo cloud just hangs so heavy over yeah. that team. And, and even the after second... the game, he was still celebrating alone. And I think that says a lot. Everything, everything. Yeah. You know, this is a man without a club and a country now in many ways, but that's something else to dissect for another time. Okay, well, our picks are in. We had a lot of agreement, um, but there are a lot of really good games, and they kick off, was it Friday, um, at 10 and 2 Eastern, and then Saturday, 
um, also at 10 and 2. But and Caleb, I got to ask the big question. <laughs> yeah. Who is winning this World Cup? As of now? As of right now. Uh, as of right now, Brazil. I got to go for Brazil as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we should have done like a 3-2-1. Yeah, um, we should have. But, yeah. well, I guess, okay, if we both agree Brazil, who who do you think they're playing? I think, oh, I I think they're playing, this is crazy. I think they're playing Portugal. Oh, God. <laughs> I think they're either I think they're playing Portugal or France. I think when it comes down to it, if it comes to that semifinal, I think Portugal just have a bit more right now than the French do. And I could just see I could see it being a Portugal Brazil, all Portuguese final in some ways. Okay, I I'm I'm not even going to like we'll cross that bridge if we need to. But Okay. Well, on that bombshell, Caleb and I, <laughs> in in lockstep on this episode, as synchronized as a Brazilian samba boys dance on this episode. But we will see what Nathan Strauss has to say uh, once we have our semifinals all set and ready to go. So with that being said, I have been Nick Vinden. Caleb Reds. And we will see you all next time.